What's up, y'all? Welcome to the Sports Medicine Broadcast, a podcast to promote and improve your practice as an athletic trainer. Today, Kate Miller is back. Uh, We're interviewing Don Stuckey about pregnancy in athletic training. So Don is an athletic trainer. Dawn was working at Rice University when she was pregnant with her twins. She's also a triathlete, so she's got lots of experience from as an AT, before, during, after pregnancy, Um, and then obviously Kate's got lots of expertise in both the sports medicine world and the fitness professional world dealing with pre- and post-natal uh, fitness and returning to normal and making modifications and adaptations. So we got some questions from Twitter we'll throw in there as well. If you want to join this conversation, it's sportsmedicinebroadcast.com slash pregnancy and athletic training, where I'll post the links, tips, resources, different things like that. But we are also live usually when we do these shows. So check it out, uh, sportsmedicinebroadcast.com slash Facebook and That'll allow you to watch live, join the conversation live on Facebook, and get your questions hopefully answered there. So I am your host, Jeremy Jackson, and this is sportsmedicinebroadcast.com slash pregnancy and athletic training. So we're going to start right off with Don. uh, Don, having worked with college athletics and predominantly female teams, last week we talked about incontinence with Dr. Sarah Duvall, and again, that was smb.com slash incontinence, if you want to check that one out. we discussed the that up to a quarter of females athletes deal with incontinence during athletics or during competition and training. And so I just wanted to get your take or perspective on the female athlete and incontinence, and then we'll kind of continue on into pregnancy and athletic training. So Don? Um, hi, good morning. Uh, yeah, I, I would say that I haven't really had any athletes approach me at the collegiate level about the issue. But that doesn't mean that it's not going on. I would assume that um, it's kind of an awkward subject for that uh, age range, and they probably don't understand why it's happening if it is. Um, But unfortunately, or fortunate maybe, that nobody has um, really contacted me or come up to me about that that issue at this point. Dr. Duvall said something about, instead of saying incontinence, what was the other word she said she liked to use? Leakage, right? <laughs> yes, <laughs> leakage. And so because technically incontinence, we we wildly think of um urine, urinary incontinence, but it can happen on both ends. Um, I think more commonly female, especially when we're talking about pregnancy and postpartum, you're going to be talking about the urinary incontinence. And so leakage is typically the more um casual word, euphemistic word, I guess you could say. Um because some, a lot of people also think of incontinence as, you know, that's, that's just for, for old people. And it's not. Like we talked about last week, um, it, incontinence isn't inevitable with age. It just happens to come with age. And a lot of that is because of habits or ill training of the pelvic floor, et cetera, et cetera. All right. And so we'll get into some of that as we discuss pregnancy and athletic training because it is an issue with a pregnant athletic trainer, if you're standing on the sidelines or, you know, you're treating somebody and you got to sneeze or something like that. So it's, it's an adaptation that you have to make. So Don, we're going to go ahead and start with you. Uh, I know Kate is currently, as we're talking right now, seven and a half months pregnant. And so she's kind of living out everything we're talking about. Um, but Don, why don't you tell us your, your athletic trainer story. So like how long you've been in athletic training, where you were when you, um, were pregnant. So where were you, where you were practicing when you were pregnant and then where are you now? Okay, great. Um, so I've been practicing for about 15, 16 years now as an athletic trainer. 
Um, I did the old school internship route and had lots of uh, work hours, that's for sure. And um, when I was uh, pregnant four years, four or five years ago, um, I was at Rice University and I was working with the women's soccer team. So I was fortunate to have the, I, I feel like, have female coaches with me and um, a really good support staff at athletic training that understood, um, you know, what I was going through. But the, the athletes on the team were just amazing. My coaches were amazing um, to, to kind of let me you know, go through the experience. And, and like you said earlier, I had twins. And so I was, I wasn't really a high risk pregnancy because I was very fortunate, but I did have to be a little bit more careful. And I was due in December, um, middle of December. And so I went through all of preseason and their season um, pregnant and big, big time pregnant too. So August and September were definitely a challenge for me. So <laughs> um, I, I would say that, uh, you know, when I first found out, uh, I waited a lot, a, a little bit longer because I had twins. They, they say to wait a little longer to make sure everything's going okay. Um, so after the first uh, trimester, I did tell my coaches and my athletic training staff and uh, things like that, uh, just to kind of prepare them for what was to come and, um, you know, announce that to your colleagues. And then um, a little bit later, um, when I started to show a little more, I, I announced it to my student athletic trainers and my student athletes. And, um, and everyone was pretty excited. I don't know what it is about twins, but everyone just gets a little more, uh, sometimes more excited about that anticipation. So, All right, and since then, so that was, you said the girls are about to turn four. Um, what, what has been your athletic training? How has it shifted since that time? Oh, right. Um, so I moved over to Houston Methodist hospital, um, about a year and a half ago in April, a year and a half ago. And um, I'm an athletic trainer for, for Houston Methodist, and I still work primarily with Rice University. Um, I'm just employed by Houston Methodist. So the one big difference for me is I don't have a sports team now at Houston uh, at Rice University. I'm more their medical liaison. So instead of uh, 14 athletic trainers trying to contact all the doctors and schedule appointments and MRIs and communicate with all the team physicians, I'm that um, kind of in-between person that uh, kind of gets all the work done in between and schedules all those appointments and gets their office notes and things like that. So I'm trying to streamline the process for Rice University and uh, kind of make them make it a little easier on their lives every day. So it's been a real joy. Uh, I would say I don't have to travel anymore. So that's been um, probably the biggest adjustment for me that I had to make after my girls were born. And that's been a real joy to be home with them. Um, but I'm still able to be around sports every day and do some contract work on the side, obviously, with uh, with Houston Methodist um, when they need me. Um, but mainly I'm at Rice University still. All right. Very good. When I asked this question on social media, Todd Sable said he wanted to hear just about the daily struggles of working while pregnant and then strategies to make it easier, uh, both mentally and physically. So both Kate and Don, I mean, Kate, you know, as you're working through it right now, Don, as you've been on both sides of it, you know, as specifically an athletic trainer, um, do you guys just kind of share stories and then whenever we're ready to move on, I'll, I'll move us forward. Um, I, I think being an athletic trainer, a female athletic trainer, probably one of the hardest things for us in general is just to, to let other people help us. And we're used to doing everything on our own or as much as we can, we're slinging coolers up, up and getting them on the table and, and setting up practices and uh, you know, things like that. And so asking for help doesn't come firsthand for me. I'm used to doing a lot of it on my own. And so I knew right away, especially with twins, that I needed to 
stop doing that and to ask for help. And especially when the months uh, were, you know, the summer months when it got hot in preseason, I had to ask for help. And that was a big thing. And, and we must do that. And we can't feel guilty asking for help. Once the athletes knew I was pregnant, they were w more than willing to help me. Our other athletic training staff was willing to help, um, you know, and everyone just did as much as they could to make me comfortable. And that made me over time feel less guilty for asking. And, um, you know, it kind of became the norm after that. But at first, I think that was a struggle to to know my boundaries and my limits so I wouldn't hurt myself or the babies. Kate, do you have a I'd similar have, experience? <laughs> yeah, I'd have to agree. So, yeah, I work in physical therapy and I also work in fitness training, group exercise, things like that, um, post-rehabilitation fitness as well. And that's a huge thing is asking for help because we are so used to, one, leading by example, too, showing people what to do, not just telling them what to do. So knowing... I'm not going to be able to show you um, that bounding exercise right now because I need to make sure I keep everything inside of me still. Um, and, and positional stretches. I mean, things as simple as a hamstring stretch on a, on a football player, a rehabbing football player um, is difficult when you have this bulbous middle. Um, yeah. So asking for help, uh, getting somebody else maybe to step in for you in certain situations, which is really hard, especially because as athletic trainers, physical therapists, fitness trainers, we're so proud of what we do. So asking somebody to step in and essentially kind of do our job for us is very difficult, but you have to humble yourself because your body is going through so much and we have so much knowledge of the human body. We know this, um, but respecting, respecting what the body is going through is a very, very difficult thing um, to kind of allow and to let go of, well, I have to do this myself. Um, I think yeah. the modifications, if <clears throat> I know my first pregnancy, as much as I thought I knew about the human body, <laughs> there were things happening that I just didn't expect. You know, I was doing triathlons. I was running a marathon, ran the rock and roll marathon. I, I bef right before I was pregnant and my body went through, my body went through hell, a hyperemesis gravidarum. I ended up being diagnosed with that, which is morning sickness times a billion. And I was not able to exercise. I was on bed rest. I had a lot of other complications and realizing that I couldn't work. I couldn't help others without helping myself first was really, really hard and letting go of the, uh, the fitness and athletic health world for a little while to take care of myself. And not everybody has terrible experiences. Everybody's pregnancy, everybody's pregnancy is different. You know what I mean? But really respecting what's going on with your body is going to be number one because you can't help others if you can't help yourself as cliche as that sounds. Yeah, that's, that's absolutely right. And I'm sorry you had such a, an, um, a different journey. <laughs> I can't imagine. <laughs> I was really lucky. I didn't have a lot of morning sickness. So, um, I was lucky that way, but, and, and I think that we always, um, athletic trainers in general, males and females, you know, we, and, and physicians and everyone else, we tend, we take care of everyone else so much. And the focus is there that we don't take care of ourselves. And that's just for anything. I have an injury that I've been dealing with forever. And I just put it, you know, you put it off because you have other things to do. And so when you're pregnant, you're right. You can't let those things slip. Um, I think that just self-care is um is huge when you when you're um you know pregnant and you don't realize in the beginning stages that you need to get some good compression socks or some some solid shoes um really good fitting pregnant clothes so that you actually look good and feel good while you're pregnant you know that's a big deal when your body's changing so much 
Um, oh, yeah. I, I was a big firm believer in that. You know, I'm going to invest in some good clothes so I feel good as well. And then, you know, get a belly belt or something for a maternity belt to support you if you are standing up a lot on the field or something like that. But um, your self-care is definitely is definitely going to help you along the way. All right. So what are some of the adaptations specifically that that you've made? Uh, you mentioned the belly belt or maternity belt if you're standing up a lot. And then I think either in the pre-show or maybe early in the conversation, Caden mentioned um, not being able to demonstrate like an exercise. And so you know, specifically this morning, I was showing how to use the foam roller for, for the glutes, right? So what are some of the different adaptations that you used while pregnant to teach, to do, still do your job? Go ahead, Tom. Um, I think that I had it a little easier because I had so many people in the athletic training room that I could just kind of pull an athlete over and be like, hey, um, you know, Susie, can you come over here and show somebody how to do this stretch or... Um, things like that. But, you know, I, I wasn't able, I just tired easily. And so I had to take more breaks and allow myself that, that break and let somebody else help me do treatment or the massage that I needed to get done. Or, you know, cause a lot of times that stretching is pretty, pretty daunting when it is a football player or my goalkeeper, soccer player or something like that. So I was fortunate to have um, some other athletes and student athletic trainers help me, some staff members, um, things like that. But I think the biggest thing I remember is my student, my student athletes and my coaches got me a chair for preseason and I sat down during practice. And, um, and like I said, it was the hot months. Um, my heart rate was already higher because I had two babies in there. Um, and I had to sit down. If I stood up for a long time, I would feel really bad. And so I forced myself to sit down at practice. And, um, you know, I had a clear view of the entire field. I was lucky because it was soccer. So there wasn't too much, you know, too many drills going on at, at one time. Um, where at football, it might be a little different, but you're going to have to make those adaptations. Um, my friend, Hannah, I talked to a few of my friends uh, last night to kind of get their point of view too. And she was saying um, during her football season, they turned the air conditioning on in the press box and had her go up there during August and September when she was, you know, really pregnant and said, well, you know, you, you're watching practice from there. Come down if you need, if we need you. Um, and, and it was, it was a nice adaptation and respectful for them to do that for her as well. That's, that's awesome. So when we talk about um, like pregnancy, pregnancy concerns with exercise, we kind of have to re move it over to our fields, both physical therapy and more so in athletic training in a lot of ways. Um, the, the things that concern us are the, the risks of uh, dehydration, of, of uh, hyperthermia, of hypoglycemia. If we are in an active work environment, those three things are not, they're, it jeopardizes the health of us, but the baby. And for you, two babies. So your body's going into double time. Your heart rate's going to be much yes. more increased than the average pregnancy. Your cardiac output, your blood volume, all of these things, of course, we think about with exercise, but just standing is considered exercise, especially when you're yes. housing two human beings <laughs> in your belly. I mean, that is a lot of stress. Your heart grows, it changes position. Your body is going under so many changes just at rest. When you have an active lifestyle, you're going to have to make modifications. And it does not mean you're lazy. You're building humans. <laughs> you're not lazy. Um, people are not going to look at you like you don't belong there. They're, you're not changing as a person at all. You're actually right. becoming a superhero. Um, I, I actually agree with that, but um, there are things like the belly band. There are SI belts. A lot of women um, have increased 
pelvic instability. And so the SI joint tends to move around a little bit. You get more yes. low back pain. Um, SI belts can be useful for some people. I don't want anybody to become dependent on the yeah. belts. And I, I really stress that to both pregnant, my pregnant and postpartum populations. These are not meant to, as a crutch, they're just to get you through certain situations um, or certain times during your pregnancy and postpartum. Uh, there are taping strategies. I know athletic trainers, um, I teach taping courses too, to a lot of athletic trainers, um, but you, you guys use tape, all kinds of tape, uh, more so than I think physical therapists use in a lot of ways. Um, you, there are several taping strategies for your belly, um, depending on the time, like during your pregnancy, what kind of tape you're going to use. I'd say a dynamic tape is usually um, better than a rigid tape. So yeah. you don't do you know, damage to the muscles. There's different taping strategies depending on how pregnant you are. Um, and also taking a seat. You know, the increased blood volume is going to increase the, the stress on your kidneys. So again, even when you're standing, the cir your circulation, your heart is going to be under a lot more duress, if you will. Right. And that's why people, they, they swell, they urinate more, things like that. Yep. So give your body a break, have, have a little respect. I mean, you, you have so much respect for the athletes that you work with and you take care of them. Um, and you put them on a pedestal, it's time to put yourself there too while you're doing your job. It doesn't mean you have to quit or take a break unless medical complications occur. All right. So we've talked a good bit about some of the adaptations you've made. Um, we'll start with Don. Um, list some of the things that the very small things that you felt were really helpful. You already said a chair. Uh, and then Kate just mentioned like hypoglycemia. So like having, having certain snacks with you and then specifically like this type of snacks that worked for you in those situations. Cause obviously you can't carry a chocolate covered protein bar out in the sun in August. Right. So specifically what was working for you in those situations, uh, to help prevent some of those. And then Kate, I know your situation was different than Dawn's and we'll go over that as well. Um, I think, some of the big things is I had a, a large water bottle that I made sure I drank all the time. And I was always thirsty. I woke up in the middle of the night and I would just drink, 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 go back to bed, go to the bathroom, wake up, drink. It was just <laughs> this big, horrible cycle. I felt like I never slept because I was always <laughs> drinking water. Um, so they were some, some thirsty girls. But uh, so I, I always had a large water bottle to keep track of how much I was drinking. And especially when I was outside in the heat, you know, I did add Gatorade or, you know, electrolyte drink and stuff, but I was more concerned with just the water and, um, and trying not to drink sodas and um, tea. You have to watch out for caffeine. Um, so, you know, um, I, I used to drink a caffeinated <clears throat> drink every morning and I stopped that and felt much better actually, but surprised, but, um, <laughs> uh, you know, you had to, to alter that for sure. And I also had snacks, you know, in the first trimester, I don't think you need to have a, 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 a large intake in calories, but I know in the second and third trimester, you do need to start adding, you know, 300, 400 calories, um, you know, uh, per, per baby, I guess. And so I was, I had the luxury, I could eat a little bit more, but, um, <laughs> I was eating, you know, cheese sticks and peanuts and, um, things like that were, um, they tasted good to me still. I had, you have to find what tastes good, I think too. And some things that, that just you love, you just don't love anymore. They just don't sound good at all, especially when you're swelling it, swollen and bloated and things like that. So, um, that was the big thing for me is just having some things that I enjoyed, um, I like, I like fruit. And so I did bananas and apples a lot too. Things like that were just simple. What about you, Kate? That's so my story is a little different. Um, <laughs> I had hyperemesis gravidarum and we won't really go into that, but it is a, it is a clinical diagnosis of malnutrition 
uh, extreme vomiting, extreme oh. dehydration. Most cases get IVs. There are a lot of women. I was lucky enough. I had no hospital stays or anything like that. Um, some women end up bed rest their entire pregnancy. Uh, but the biggest thing is the malnutrition and the aversions. So you were just mentioning, you know, what still sounds good to you. I still can't eat eggs. <laughs> right oh. now. Um, but there are, you're going to have to find something that you enjoy and it's going to be trial and error in a lot of ways, um, because this pregnancy is even different than my first pregnancy. Um, and my pregnancy is going to be different from your pregnancy, uh, but your right. taste buds do change. Um, that's, that's one of the side effects of being pregnant. Um, your taste buds kind of evolve and sometimes they never go back. I may never like eggs again, who knows? But, um, I did a lot of smoothies. Um, but I made sure to watch the sugar because you do have to watch out for things like gestational diabetes, which, you know, a lot of people have a genetic predisposition to, but you still, I mean, it's, some people think that when you're pregnant, it's a free for all to eat whatever you want. And right. you are absolutely correct. The normal weight gain for first trimester is zero to three pounds up to zero to five pounds. It depends on the person, how tall you are, you know, your activity level, et cetera. <clears throat> but it is completely normal not to gain weight your first trimester. And about 40% of the population don't know when they are pregnant in the first trimester. Um, especially, especially a lot of athletes who may be experiencing um, amenorrhea from low body fat or something like that. Um, they may not recognize a missed period, um, which is something we can talk about if you'd like. But <clears throat> I'd say I did frozen grapes a lot. Um, food with a lot of water in it because dehydration is huge, especially if you're out on the field you know, during a game or during a practice or something like that. If you have a diagnosis of hyperemesis gravidarum, you might not be able to drink water. Um, and so having, having any kind of uh, a liquid diet with wow. electrolytes in it, um, shakes, frozen grapes saved my life, frozen watermelon, things that keep not only your body cool, but hydrate you and feed you at the same time, I think is a huge thing, especially maybe you don't have HG hyperemesis but you are feeling that morning sickness, but you don't want to call in sick to the game or to the job or, you know, whatever. If you have a cooler, are you guys allowed to have like cooler packs at all? I mean, I'm a, yeah, I work in physical therapy. So I, I you know, part of my ignorance, <laughs> but are you guys allowed to have coolers and for yourselves? Yeah. I would think anybody would pretty much, you as a pregnant lady, you can get away with pretty much anything. So, <laughs> so you can take a little, I'm sure you can take a little snack cooler or something, put it on the sideline at a football game or, you know, in Perfect. the locker room or whatever. Yeah, definitely. Perfect. Propel, Gatorade. Yeah. I know they're kind of high sugar and you, you kind of think of that as like an athletic drink, but you're going to need it because you're going to need more water. You're going to need more sugars. Um, especially if you are not eating as much, I, the frozen fruit and the shakes, I can't say enough that really, that really helps. And it helps to keep you cool as well. Right. I did shakes too. Yeah. In the morning for sure. Yeah, definitely. And morning sickness, um, contrary to popular belief is not just in the morning. Mine was mostly yeah. at night, although I was throwing up 30 to 50 times a day. Mine was mostly at night. Um, not the morning, go figure. So, um, just be prepared at all times that I, I had snacks, peanut butter, little peanut butter cups or something that I could just take little bites of in the car. Um, here in California, in Temecula, it gets quite hot. It was 120 when I was pregnant. So um, just trying to keep cool. That large water bottle idea is a fantastic idea because yeah. it helps you keep track of how much you're drinking. But I can't imagine with twins, the guidelines are a little bit different for twins. Um, they are. Your, how much you're eating, <laughs> how much you're drinking. Yes. 
Um, yes. And it's it's fun, it's funny to find a balance. You were talking about drinking water and going to the bathroom, drinking water and going to the bathroom. <laughs> I thought that was horrible enough with one. <laughs> I can't yeah. imagine building two. Um, but listen to your body. I think that's the biggest thing. And then your heart rate, keeping keeping cool is going to help your heart rate stay a little bit lower as well. So um, yeah, does that answer absolutely. your question, Jeremy? Yep, I think there's lots of good snacks, and one of the biggest things that you said that I that I like is that you got to find what works for for you. Because as athletic trainers, you know we can easily get okay. Well, you need to do this, 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 and this to make this better. But everybody's situation is different. You still can't eat eggs. Sarah, my wife, still has trouble four years later eating like a banana sometimes because when she was pregnant, she had that aversion. And so it really is. It's important to continue to try different things, find things that work plan ahead, prepare, have that cooler on the sidelines, like you were saying. Um, and so obviously I've never been pregnant, but we have three children. So I've kind of been through this. Um, and again, we're talking to experts here. So what would be your one big piece of advice for the pregnancy? So we're not talking about the birth or afterwards yet. So that for during the pregnancy as an athletic trainer, what would be your one big piece of advice? Um, Kate, you got anything? Oof. Oof. I mean, so I'm a nerd. I would say knowledge is power. Yeah. Ask questions, talk to your doctor, talk to other professionals. Um, I've, I talked to several athletic trainers when I was in certain situations and I worked in physical therapy. I talked to MDs. I talked to DOs, things that I didn't know. Um, I talked to, to Dr. Duval, who is now, I mean, she's, she's so smart, just so smart. Um, and I, I educated myself so that I could better educate others as well and that I could take care of others. Um, so I think if you are not very familiar with some of these things or you find yourself pregnant and you're like, oh my gosh, I know nothing about what's happening, educate yourself or go to a seminar, take a course, take a CEU course, um, talk to a professional, get to know what the best things and best options are for your body because each person's different. You're not going to be able to follow an A to Z book on how to deal with your pregnancy. Yeah, absolutely. And I think just our two examples are so different yeah. in the experiences that we've had. And hopefully you're having a much better experience this uh, time around with your pregnancy. And it's just different. And, well, you know, even, <laughs> you know, two or three different pregnancies, though, can, can lead to different things. And yes. I would say that that is a huge thing is have a support system and, and learn and, and understand because none of us know what to expect or what to do. Um, we learn as we go, but also have grace and patience for yourself and, and your and your husband and your family, because your husband, I, I'm sure Jeremy can talk about this. He he has no idea what you're going through either. And so, you know, the mood swings and the and the, the fatigue and in the morning sickness and all that, he he's trying to help you and he's just trying to get through it, too. So I would say be grace, graceful, gracious for yourself and your family, because you know, I, I had days I wanted to cry. There was days I was just loving pregnancy. And then my, my friend had a horrible pregnancy, you know, just kind of like your situation. That first one was kind of a nightmare, just bedridden and stuff. I can't imagine that. And then, um, you know, there's people that you don't even, they're just so cheery. You're just, you can't imagine. They're just having an amazing pregnancy. So I would just say, be patient and, um, and know that things are going to be different as the trimesters go along as well. So it's going to be yes. a learning experience because the first trimester with that morning sickness or whatever is never going to, is not going to be anything like the, the second or even the third when you're in the last month or so. It's completely different. You're slow and you're huge and you just feel awful <laughs> and you can't wait for this to be over. <laughs> I just entered so third excited. trimester. I understand. <laughs> right. You're so 
excited, but you're just ready for it to be done. And, um, you know, there's just different things. I could barely eat anything in my third trimester, especially in the last month because I had, well, and I had twins. So I think I was eating like this much food at once, you know, because I just didn't have any room in my stomach, no which, yeah, there's no space. And so I was just a grazer all day long. Um, which I was okay with, I guess, but it's just different experience as you go, go along for sure. I'm going to, I'm going to tag on something there real quick, Jamie, before we move on. So listening to your body and listening to any medical precautions, yeah. um, you wouldn't put your train or your athlete in a situation that could put them in harm. I mean, I hope not <laughs> think of, I, I hate to say, think of pregnancy as an injury. Cause I, I really don't want that to get out there, but your body is going through so many changes. You're going to have to Think about the risks. For instance, I have placenta previa now too. So I'm not supposed to do certain exercises. I'm on pelvic rest. I have, you know, and, and that kills me because I want to be on my spin bike. I want to be running outside. I want to do things with the athletic population that I might work with or my patients or whatever, but I can't because I risk hemorrhage. So if your doctor says, you know, and they'll, they're all, they'll always err on the side of caution. They have to, and which is a smart thing. But if they say, hey, this is a condition that can put you and your baby at risk, listen to them. There are ways, I still exercise. I'm in great shape, but you have to work around the precautions um, and respect what's going on with your body, the changes, just as if you would respect something going on with your with your athlete. Yeah, that's a great point. That's absolutely right. Um, I was limited to, I wasn't supposed to get my heart rate over 140. And I mean, I could, in, in the heat in the summer, I could walk five feet and then I would be at 140. I'm like, all right, now what? So I couldn't exercise past like 10 weeks. And that was really hard for me being, um, yeah, um, because I would walk jog and I would, I would jog for like two or three minutes. And then it would take me like eight minutes to get my heart rate back down to where it was normal. And I'm like, this is just stupid. So I would just walk. And um, so that was a really big adjustment for me. And I just had to, and I wasn't watch. I mean, I was watching what I ate, but I wasn't, you know, um, paranoid about it, but I wanted to make sure I wasn't, you know, just eating free for all, like you said before, because I couldn't exercise. And, um, I think I did a pretty good job. So, so I'm gonna jump in here. There is a story that I've told multiple times, Sarah, after our first child was born, she was sitting in the room, which is literally three feet from the kitchen. She was nursing our son and I was washing dishes. She was mad at me washing dishes because I wasn't sitting there with her at her feet while she was nursing our child. So you mentioned like the emotions, like some days you're super happy, some days you're super just crazy, depressed, sad, whatever it is. And so obviously I, I wasn't personally experiencing those, but I was <laughs> feeling the effects of, of that stuff. And it's not, it wasn't her fault. Like she just all the hormones and emotions and everything that's going on, the frustrations, everything was new. And, and so I, whenever I talk to, to dads or, you know, expecting dads, I'm like, look, if at all possible, take a month off, take two months off, whatever, take as much time as you can possibly take off and be completely away from work and be completely absorbed in the home life if you can possibly do it because Absolutely. everything changes, everything changes. And so... There's two things I want to mention. One is uh, we did a podcast a while back with Alex Ager, and they actually had FMLA, like his coworker um, was going was going to be pregnant, and so they did all the 
paperwork and stuff up front and they had a like a substitute athletic trainer basically which is really hard to do because there's just not a whole lot and then there's also a lot of steps uh, there's not just a lot of athletic trainers sitting around doing nothing um but it is possible so that that podcast if you're wanting to to check it out at sportsmedicinebroadcast.com slash fmla so that's for the the um maternity paternity leave stuff so if you, again if you want to check out that if you're expecting to be pregnant or you have a coworker that's pregnant or expecting to be pregnant then do the work up front and hopefully make it easier for you um and then somebody contacted me via social media and it was uh, anonymous they didn't want to completely describe their situation but i'm going to read this here and then we're going to kind of kind of talk about the transition from like birth into the afterwards of being an athletic trainer so this this guy tells a story of taking paternity leave for his infant son who was born prematurely uh, and he was at a position for a number of years had great support and relationships while on paternity leave however one of the coaches asked about who would be traveling with the team for an upcoming game when he told the coach that his supervisor was working on that, the coach responded that the AT and the AT staff were making this hard on everyone else. This individual felt hurt and offended by this remark. His years of caring for athletes, putting in hundreds of hours of, uh, and working over the holidays seemed to count for nothing because of the inconvenience caused by him taking time for his own family. He's now concerned about how this will affect his relationship when he returns. Okay, so Don... Being on maternity leave, returning to work, um, you know, you got those teams counting on you, that kind of thing. So talk about your situation, like basically from the birth and and moving forward as an athletic trainer. Um, I actually had this in my notes to talk about anyways. Um, You know, in that last trimester and afterwards, you know, even in the last trimester, you have to plan not to travel at some point, right? And when I was with soccer, I got on planes and traveled for four days at a time. And at, you know, at some point you have to say, I can't, it's not safe for me and my baby to travel anymore because I don't want to have a baby on a plane. So, um, you know, at that point we had to make an adjustment and say, this other athletic trainer is going to step in for me and take over. And she, she did the last three weeks of the season for me, um, which relieved me tremendously. And my husband, I think, and my doctor as well. Um, and, and just, it gave, gave us some, I guess, peace of mind that, you know, um, I was safe at home. And then afterwards I took a longer, um, leave of absence. I took three months off and, um, my husband took about, uh, uh, well, he was a coach at the time. And so he had the three or four weeks of Christmas vacation because he was a coach. And so that helped tremendously. And, um, and, you know, it's hard because everyone we're, we're trained to serve and to help everyone else. And I can understand what this, this gentleman's going through and it's not fair because those coaches have babies at home too and have families. But a lot of times the men don't have to be there as much and, or they may not want to, or they're putting their career, you know, ahead when they deserve just as much time with that baby and that, that family as possible. Um, I was lucky that, you know, I, I didn't work at all when I was on maternity leave. I turned it off and I was a mom and I didn't worry about it. And I had no threat of losing my job or anything like that because we planned ahead and everyone at my work was very gracious and understanding about it. But there's guilt, you know, even when I came back from my pre- uh, uh, of my leave and went back to work, it was still a huge adjustment for me. I wasn't working as much at first. You know, I was doing half days. For a little bit to get adjusted and, and it was still guilty then being away from my babies and then not filling my role at, at the school so 
I don't know. Kate, Kate, what do you think? It's just, it's a hard thing to fill and it's not fair for anyone to put that guilt on you. And no. I think family <clears throat> always comes first and you just family make it always work. comes first. And it's just another job. <laughs> it's <laughs> I'm just, sorry. And you know, I, I would hope that that coach or that person that spoke to the athletic trainer like that was having a bad day yeah. and took it out the wrong way or was trying to be a man and, yeah. you know, just tough. try to make a joke of it. Tough guy, which is unfortunate, but that's a lot of pressure put on a, put on guys, whether they want to be home or not. There's pressure to be the man that makes the money and the man that works and the woman's going to take care of the family. In the real world, especially nowadays, that's not how it works. And unfortunately, some some people have a harder time letting that go than others. That coach pop maybe had some pressure coming from the top. Too. I mean, I, I would. I'm trying to think positive of that situation, but either way, that's completely inappropriate to put stress on um, an athletic trainer like that. Because the fact that you love your family has no bearing on how much you love and respect your job. There Absolutely. are two different worlds, and finding the balance has been the hardest part. I quick nip. I never thought I wanted to be a stay-at-home mom. I never wanted. I wanted to have my baby. Excuse me for the bluntness. Pop it out put it in daycare, <laughs> put it in daycare, come back and raise the kid on, you know, on my own time. And I had my daughter and I treat very part-time. I do more admin work right now, um, especially with my complicated pregnancy and then postpartum. I, I, I had to, I was forced to, um, but I'd say each person's situation, I keep saying this, but it, it's going to be different. If you are a person or a father, especially that is going to go back to work and you want to spend time with your family, stand your ground. Times are changing. You're going to have a lot more backup as a father for time off and things like that. And try not to take it personally if, if somebody talks to you like that, especially if it's one statement. But if it's continual, if you're getting pressure from your job, um, it's time to assess two things. One, is this job going to be appropriate for you? And are they going to respect your family from here on out? Because if they're not respecting your family time now, are they going to respect it two years from now or three years from now or four right. years from now when you want to go to your child's soccer game or something like that? Um, and then two, uh, is it the right type of job for you right now? Do you need to find a different type of athletic training job while your kids are younger? Does your wife need you more? Um, really assess what your needs are. And it has no really consider it has no bearing on how much you love your job. Okay. It is a, an extremely difficult decision for both a man and a woman, the mother and the father or the mother and the mother, whatever, whatever the case is. Um, but really look inside and, and figure out what's going to be the best thing for you and, and take the steps to make changes if necessary. Yeah. And I think I was talking to my friend last night about this subject and we, we, we were interested in the statistics of how many female athletic trainers and physical therapists, um, you know, change job settings, especially athletic trainers, when we've always put our, um, our job first. You know, when I was single, I just, I went and I, I just, athletic training was it. I worked and worked and worked and it was what we did and that's it. And then I got married and then I was like, well, I don't want to work quite as much, but we're still going to suck it up and do it. And then you have kids and then you're like, holy cow, my world just changed. <sighs> Like mind blown, people will tell you, and then you're like, Yeah, it's not gonna be like, Yeah, it's different. It's it's so everyone, different, it's so different. And it can she's be my everything, for, <laughs> yeah. And it can be different for the males too. It doesn't mean that it's it's just the females, 
But, um, you know, I, I wanted to, I, I had that guilt at work when I came back because I had to leave at 530 to go pick up my kids because my husband was a football coach and he was there till 10 and I had to go get my kids. So somebody else was doing my job at Rice University when I left and there was guilt because I didn't want that to happen. And so everyone was really gracious and helpful, but I didn't want, you know, I didn't want that, that feeling on me anymore. And that burden on them. So Houston Methodist was a perfect fit for me now where I don't have to travel and, and I can, you know, have a little better hours and things. And so I, th I think the statistics are just overwhelming and mad props to my friend Tana that I was talking to last night. Cause she makes it work. Her, her little, her little boy sometimes goes to um, football games with her and the parents in the stands will, you know, um, hold him and, and play with him while she's working. If there's a, not, not very often, but sometimes that works or her kid, her, her daughter, Marley, somebody picks her up and takes her to swim, swim lessons, you know, a friend um, that has a kid in swim lessons. So she makes it work and you have to have that support system too. Otherwise, um, you know, it's going to be really daunting and stressful on you and your family. So I, I would say have a good, um, a good support system too. Yes, absolutely. That's why we're still here in California. <laughs> we, we don't necessarily want to live here anymore. We'd like to go elsewhere, but his family's here. My family's here. Yep. Um, I'm still able, to, I have to work because I live in California, but um, <laughs> there's that. Uh, but having, that's a great point. Having a support system of any kind, whether it be um, friends, family, coworkers. Right. Um, it's really important to have a very supportive work environment. So for that person who went, who is going, maybe they're still going through this. I don't know if this is a, a current situation or a was situation, but right. I would really do a full evaluation of, of your place of employment and, and maybe even have a talk with this person. Maybe this person, like I said, had a bad day. Sit Let's down and so. talk to the person. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I'm trying to think of the positive right. side, but sit down and, and think about what your options are. Investigate what your options are. Um, and you and I, we both made changes to for our families, but that doesn't necessarily have has it doesn't necessarily have to happen. So right. Right. And scheduling too. I think as Jeremy, you can probably um, relate to this with your staff member. You know, if you have two or three staff members on on board and one of you has a family and two don't, you know, there's maybe let the staff member with the, the children have Halloween off and she works an extra shift here or whatever. You know, I, I don't Great ever, I, I, I feel bad when the single people get punished, you know, like they're like, oh, well, you don't have a family so you can work, you know, more tonight. No, that's not exactly the right way to do it, obviously. Um, but, you know, give and take relationship. Well, if you guys can let me have Halloween off, I'll pull, you know, uh, the 6 a.m. tomorrow morning. Yeah, or New Year's or whatever. <laughs> we'll be exactly. going out late. <laughs> um, so, you know, um, understand and, and communicate with your staff members and, and especially ones that don't have family because they're going to want to do things, um, you know, and have a life too, but they're different priorities. And so I think you have to give and take, but don't just put all of it on them for, oh, you don't have kids, so you can just, you can work this extra shift or whatever. So you got to make up for it in the long run or bring them cookies or something. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, one of the questions I know I saw um, was, I think it was Whitney Catalano, but I think it was more than one person had mentioned that. Um, talk specifically about how you have worked around those schedules. I know, Don, you said sometimes you just had to leave. You just, all right, I'm leaving at 530 to pick up my kids. All right. And so you communicate those beforehand, but, yeah. and you mentioned, I think you said Tana, she, who is watching live, um, and some other people, they've brought kids to games. You know, I've done that as well, you know, brought, yeah. all right, well, come on, you're going with me, uh, to the game, that kind of thing. So talk a little bit more about your experience in after giving birth, 
and returning to work, how you kind of manage some of those schedules, some of the details about finding childcare and things like that. Kate, you want to go first? Well, I mean, a, a prime, <laughs> hello, a prime example, my husband is staying home this morning. He's downstairs with my toddler right now so that I can do this. Um, having, I can't say it enough where it sounds like we're kind of preaching down, huh? But have a support system. Um, if you don't have family nearby or if you're a military and you're an athletic trainer, um, I, I've seen that a lot actually, yeah. um, have some sort of schedule, um, someone that can maybe watch, or if you have a very understanding work environment, that's good to recognize and, and see about as well. I, I would just say, one, you're going to have to prioritize. There are going to be certain situations where I can call my mom and be like, hey, listen, I just got to drop Piper off. Uh, Piper's my daughter. For a few hours, I have got to do this conference call. This is very important to me. And there have been times where I have called my my supervisor. I'm like, you know, I, I just can't do this today. My daughter is sick. I'm sorry. This is a priority. And they're completely understanding. Honesty is the best policy, I think. Um but really prioritizing. Sometimes it's okay to let your daughter go to daycare or son go to daycare. It's okay. That's not going to ruin them. I feel like you're 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 condemned if you do, and you're condemned if you don't in yeah. this in this day and age. Um, but prioritize. You know what really needs your attention, and then kind of work from there. Yeah, absolutely. And I think in the first year is the hardest. Um, my 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 girls went to daycare. And so I had two infant daughters after three months, they go to daycare and they're around all these other babies and there's just sickness flying around sick, that room. Sick, sick. And so they never got, I, I don't know if this is a blessing or not. They never, they were, they were barely ever sick at the same time. Usually one would get sick and then the next week the other one would get sick. So it's probably, <laughs> it would probably be worse if they were both sick at the same time. So I would stay home for a few days because you can't take a baby to, to daycare when they have a fever or, you know, at certain points. And so then I'd miss two days of work and I'd get through the weekend and then Monday would come around and we'd be fine. And Tuesday, oh, daycare called. Oh, got to go get the other one. And I'd go home again. And I had no choice. Like my husband didn't really have as much opportunity to take off work as I did, um, especially during the football season. So I had to be that person. And, you know, um, my mother-in-law lives an hour away, so she helped a little bit, but there wasn't a lot of other people that I could lean on. And I just had to stay home. And so I think during that first year, like my coworkers just knew that I was a zombie walking around and I had to leave sometimes and they really pulled for me and just had a, a big support for me. And I, I just can't imagine doing it without them. And I know that some of them were young and they were really annoyed with me, but you know, it's just nothing I could do. Like you said, priority <laughs> for sure. And I took them to games. Sometimes they were sick, but they weren't sick enough to be, you know, just quarantined. It's just the nose. Yeah. Right and so you're just like, whatever. So we'll take them to school. And, and you know, my athletes love being around my daughters. And so I did bring them in the athletic training room. And the first time my daughter picked up a basketball, I was like in tears because that's what I did in college. And so I was like, yes, we got her. I hooked her. So, you know, she was two. But, you know, so. Um, it counts. So, yeah, it does count. So I think that having them around that setting too is great because you'll have other people want to see your girls grow up and, and experience it too. So you just got to make it work there, but you're right. Priority. There's no, sometimes you just can't help it. You have to go home. Mm -hmm. The, there was a question on Twitter from, I think it used to be AT voices, but now I think it says AT something. Um, and it was about the, uh, about people timing their pregnancies or their births around certain seasons. Don, have you experienced, did you, was that like a thought at all? Like, Hey, let's try and get pregnant so that I can give birth this time and be absent at this time. 
Um, it wasn't really a plan for me, but uh, it worked out the same. Um, I, I was uh, pregnant in December, or I had my babies in December, but um, it was a couple of weeks um, before our break. And so I still had to use my time off during, right, like after we were really gone for the Christmas holiday. So it was kind of a, a bummer for me, but it was still less burden on my athletic training family um, to pick it up. But I, if you can plan it, um, heck yeah, do it where we're in the slow season and you know, April, May, June, July, get, have your babies then if you can, because that's better for everyone. And you won't have that burden um, quite as quickly and you won't be rushed to come back as quickly and you don't have to pay for daycare as soon. <laughs> so. <laughs> yeah, there is, that is a good thing. Cause our first son was born in July 30th, uh, August 1st, I think was when I went back to work. So he was born on a Friday and went back to work on a Monday because nobody told me, Hey, take that time off. Right. And right. it was the first week. So we we're only going like half days, that kind of thing. But nobody told me, Hey, take that time off. Cause I was like, well, I got, it's the start of the year. I need to get things moving. I need to get things going. I wish somebody said something. Our second son was born July 1st. So I had a whole month off. By the time we had our third son, I said, Hey, once we have that, once we have the third son, I'm going to be gone between, cause he was born mid November. I was like, I'm going to be gone until Thanksgiving break. And then between Thanksgiving and Christmas, I'm only coming in half a day. Right. So I Good had those days yeah. and I was like, I, I don't care. Like I, I'm going to use those days. I'm going to be there for my family. Three kids is really tough with, uh, I think at that point, yeah. all three of them were home cause none of them were in school yet. And so, yeah, I was like, <laughs> I have got to be there for my wife, for my family. And Ooh. so it took me to the third kid to really learn that, you know, and, and so if one person, one man listening to this gets a message from me, yes. it's take that time off. Your job's still going to be there. If not, find a different one. Right. Find right. a different one. There's always going to be another set of athletes. There's always going to be another game. Always. There's never yeah. going to be another first day, first week, first month, first year of your child's life. Never. Yeah. Take that time. And get yeah, and guess what? The the soccer athletes that travel with a different athletic trainer, they did just fine. And the three months I was gone, everything was fine. They called me twice, maybe. You know, they didn't need me. <laughs> Boo! They, I don't. You know, they didn't need me, but um, <laughs> it was just fine. And I came back, and we picked up right where we left off. And things are are that way. It's just a. You know, I hate to say that, but it's just a job. Your family has to come first. And, and, you know, guys, it's hard because you're going to come home from working eight or nine hours a day, or if you're a coach or whatever, um, you're going to work a long day and you have to come home. And Jeremy, you know, this, you have to turn it into dad mode right away. Like you can't just come home and be like, I'm going to go watch TV for an hour and then I'll start being a dad. You got to You have to turn it on right away. And, you know, you have to understand that I, I, I was ready for just to talk to somebody when my husband got home. I'm like, hello, I've been home with these two screaming kids watching, you know, reruns all day long and, you know, doing this, I need somebody to talk to and I need you to take my babies and give me half an hour, <laughs> give me some time to myself for a second. So, you know, the, the man has to come home and just immediately turn it on and, and be supportive and just listen to what your wife needs at that point, because it's going to be different every day. Some days I just needed him to sit next to me. Some days I needed mm -hmm. him to take my babies. <laughs> so be patient. Yep. <laughs> my sister-in-law had diastasis recti, diastasis recti. I'm not exactly sure how to say it. Right. And so returning to being fit, being physically fit, being active, being healthy, was a big challenge. Don, you are a triathlete and I believe in Ironman 
correct? You've, you've done the Ironman? Yes. Yeah. And yep. so, so that's uh, what, 127 miles? Is that right? Like you swim a mile, you um, run 26 and ride 100? <laughs> Don't shortchange it. It's 140.6 miles. 140.6. So, yes. Okay. Yeah. You have 17 have 17 hours to complete an Ironman. So. Yeah. So. Yeah. Because if you complete it, you still have to complete it under a certain time some, yeah, to, to be, be an Ironman. An Ironman. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. You got it. All right. So obviously, you got four year old girls. Uh, you were able to get back into fitness and you mentioned like the clothes were important and shoes, the feeling good was, was important to you and kind of returning those things to normal and returning like your brain function. And so let's talk about just returning to activity and not quite yet returning to uh, peak physical fitness level. So just returning sure. to activity, Kate. Um, diastasis recti, diastasis, diastasis. I've heard it both ways. Um, so you're not correct uh, or you're not incorrect. Excuse me. Um, but a clinical diastasis is measured at 2.7 centimeters or greater separation of the linea alba, which is like a connective collagen tissue uh, made by the aponeurosis between the transverse abdominis, internal and external obliques. Okay, it's like it's the line that splits your 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 six pack. Think of it that way, simply. Um, so, pregnant women almost 100 percent, almost 100 percent have a diastasis at some point, but does that, that does not mean that they have a clinical diastasis recti. Does that, does that make sense? Mm -hmm. um, so at some point our body is made to separate. It's okay to have separation during pregnancy. It's as you were saying, when that separation does not come back together, um, postpartum, especially where it poses a problem because there's a disconnection between your core and a diastasis recti can happen anytime, anywhere between your umbilicus all the way down to, or I'm sorry, your xiphoid process all the way down to umbilicus or below. The most common site is umbilicus or just below it, kind of like your lower abs, if you will, um, but it can happen above. Um, if you have a diastasis, it is incredibly important to work with, I'm gonna say physical therapists because I know that there are more pelvic and, and postpartum physical therapists that deal with this, I think more than an athletic trainer would as yeah. a specialty, but correct me if I'm wrong. I just, I'm not aware of uh, like a, an athletic trainer in a clinic setting that would kind of work one-on-one -on -one <clears throat> in that situation. Doesn't mean you can't do exercises and whatnot to bring it back together with your athletes. Let me just say that right there. But um, you don't want to put anterior pressure, too much anterior pressure on um, a wall that's already separated. So burpees, big no-no. <laughs> um, there are taping strategies that you can uh, you can utilize. There are, it is very important to get your breathing canister in line. And, and Dr. Duvall talks about that in her PCES course, which would be huge for situations like this um, to take. Uh, making that connection with your diaphragmatic breathing, your your diaphragm and your pelvic floor, you, um, um, not doing too much too soon is I think going to be the hardest thing for a, an athletic trainer yeah. and an athlete, because you might feel fantastic um, bless you if you feel fantastic after giving birth, but you're going to want to go back as soon as possible, especially if you have a good schedule, good support system, you need to work yourself along a gradient. Your body just went through nine months of being, um, basically torn apart in more ways than one. Your heart was turned to the left. Your intestines were separate. Your muscles were literally pulled apart. They need time to come back together. Think of it as retraining. You essentially have to retrain 
your your body as a whole, your posture is going to be different. You're going to have excessive lower dose. There are so many components to postpartum training that are just missed. So really take into account all of the changes that happen to your body and think of it as an exercise program. Maybe that might be the best thing for an athletic trainer because that's what you guys are experts in doing is developing exercise programs and whatnot for your athletes, right? Um, think of it as retraining your body as a whole, making that connection, the, the re uh, correcting your kinetic chain. Your hips are going to be a little bit wider. Your Q angle might be different, which puts you at a higher risk for an ACL injury. I mean, there are so many different components to think about. It's hard to pinpoint just one. Yeah, absolutely. And you're, and you're going to feel, I felt kind of loose, like my hips felt looser because they stretched and my, you know, I had a C-section and so I had to watch my abdominal muscles, um, you know, really closely. And I just, I, I didn't have that priority right away because I was busy with twins. And so um, four or five months into it, um, I did start walking and um, doing more Pilates and yoga, not as much yoga because I was already stretched enough, but, um, you know, just getting things firing in the right in the right ways. And I was almost doing rehab exercises because I didn't want to yes. leave, leave the house very much. So I was doing, um, you know, body weight squats and band exercises and things like that and um, just getting my Perfect. core stabilized and and, you know, normal muscle firing exercises and learning how to stand well again, because you're all hunched over a little bit and you're different when you're standing pregnant um, with 40 or 50 pounds, you know, 30 pounds more. So yeah, and your center, to, center of gravity is different. Yeah. I yeah, mean, everything. So, yeah. So bringing that, you know, your shoulders back again and learning how to stand correctly with your posture and your core firing and things like that. So, and, you think know, of, baby steps. Yeah. Think of functional movement training, assess yep. your own body, assess your squat, look in the mirror. I mean, you are experts in body movement. Think about that. Now use yourself as an athlete, right. just a very low level athlete right after, <laughs> right after pregnancy. And you were talking about stretching. You can still feel like you're getting a stretch in the muscle, right? but your joints, oh my yes. goodness, the relaxin is, is really prevalent, especially second and third trimesters. So right. you are loosey goosey. That does not snap back right away. You right. still have relaxing coursing through your system. Your joints still have that laxity. Your muscles could be tight, but your joints could have the laxity. So there's, you know, it doesn't mean you should go do yoga necessarily just because right, you might right. feel tight in a certain way. Um, but again, I keep going back to knowledge is power. Learn about the changes that your body is going through so that you can adapt appropriately, um, especially because each situation, your situation was going, is, was very different than mine. I mean, we both right. had C-sections, but the recovery, I, I guarantee, was different. So I do have a question. Um, I think it was Elena asked on Twitter, and then I noticed this with Sarah, my wife, and then actually Dr. Duvall <laughs> mentioned this, that the BOC didn't approve a course because it talked about this. You both said from feeding. So breastfeeding, mm -hmm. like Sarah, my wife, found that she had to physically relax and pull her shoulders back because you're you're here all day your baby's in front of you your arms are hunched forward you know and feeding that or burping either way you're all you're always forward so talk just a little bit about your experience with retraining that posture like you just said and opening up your shoulders and how important that is even in the early stages the first days and weeks and things like that so the they don't call the immediate postpartum fourth trimester for no reason you are, that baby is attached to you still. And skin to skin is so important. So for the next, you know, even I'd say two to six weeks, usually you're on some sort of maternity leave, that baby is right here. So you are, an easiest, the easiest way to put it is you have upper cross 24 seven. You are internally rotated, kyphotic, forward head, feeding oh. the baby. You have to take countermeasures. And 
at the same time, be careful because you don't want to stretch or put stress on the anterior portion of your body. So I, I'm not going to be doing a lot of overhead stretches or uh, extreme rolling on the foam roll, even though that would be my first go-to because especially with C-section, you understand Don, you cannot stretch that because the scarring has to right. heal on so many levels from the uterus all the way to the, to the epidermis. Right. <laughs> so stretching that is not a good idea. Um, but doing things like snow angels on a wall, there are a lot of athletic trainers, athletes, physical therapists that are going to hate starting from the ground up. It's going to feel, and this is maybe not for everybody, but it, it felt like it to me that I was um, a beginner at everything. Yep. No weights for the first few weeks, uh, range of motion. Um, I mean, I couldn't go my full 180 or more. I was stuck here because of my poor posture. Doing things from the ground up all over again um, is going to be very, very important. So <laughs> breathing, posture exercises and standing, I would say before you do anything supine to stretch, you don't want to yeah. stretch the anterior of the body. Um, and talk to a professional. If you're not sure, if you're like, oh man, I just, you know, I just don't know. Um, talk to a physical therapist or talk to a different athletic trainer who maybe has more of a specialty. Don't feel bad about asking questions or take a course. Learn if you have to go back to basics and you're just not sure what's safe to start with, talk to somebody else, look it up, take a course. The other big thing is just remember that your body's not gonna be the same after pregnancy, right? So you're gonna have a big, big adjustment that it may never look the same after pregnancy. And that's okay because you just gave your family and you, a, a, the Lord just gave you an amazing gift. Mm -hmm. um, so don't be so worried about, you know, losing the weight and, and looking like you were before. If you have a gene size bigger, you know, let that gradually happen the safe way and be, be strong about it and be smart because you need to, you know, continue to eat more calories as you're breastfeeding too um, and more water so you can um, have good breast milk and things like that that. And so you still have to take care of your body um, afterwards and don't be focused on losing weight right away. Obviously eat healthy and do well, do good things, but don't just get it in your mind that you're, you're going to return right back to the size that you were, because it may, may be different. Those genes may never fit the same. Um, and my, start at the bony structure. Yeah. I mean, it might not be adipose tissue. Right. Your bones are, your hips are set so differently be now. Wider. Yep. Don't be hard on yourself, especially if you gave birth vaginally. Yeah. Um, I mean, my hips got wider and I had a C-section and they never went back. I was a zero two. I am a four six, honey, and I'm never going back. <laughs> <laughs> it is what it is. <laughs> yep. um, but start at the bony structure. I mean, don't go crazy dieting. Don't go. I mean, you really have to have to be easy on yourself. And men, your wife's bodies are, not, they may not be the same. I, 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 I imagine you're with your wife because you love her. So you're not going to be hard on her, but just really realize that that might not be the same person physically, mentally that you married, but you still love that person. Be easy right. on her, compliment her. I know that sounds maybe silly, but it makes a difference. Absolutely. And on that same reciprocal women, if your man tells you that he likes <laughs> your body the way it is, that he still wants you, then that's what he means. Because there's, uh, Sarah, I, you downstairs. know, we have this conversation, you know, a couple of times a year. It's like, oh, my body's just not the same. You're right. But I, I want you, like, I desire you. I want to be with you. I, you know, I want you. I want to, to, you to put on a bathing suit. I want to be seen with you. I want you. And I say that to her because I mean it. 
And sometimes, you know, it's hard for her to deal with that. So men, yeah. tell your wives, tell your, you know, if, if you're not married, tell your baby mama th- that you <laughs> desire her. Women, listen and accept that. Accept that. Right. Because I and one of the big things that I know is a struggle. We talked with Christy Keeler a while back about her postpartum depression. And it's been a battle for her since her last one was born. So it's the very last thing I want to end with. That's sportsmedicinebroadcast.com slash depression. Right. And it is it is something that is very real. It is something that is very real. The part of the issue that where I talked about earlier where Sarah was, was mad at me because I was washing dishes had to do with the, the chemical changes in her body. And so when after pregnancy, your body changes, everything changes. There's chemicals, the hormones, everything changes. Be willing to, to open up, to talk, to ask questions. It's like they've said throughout this whole podcast uh, and know like you can listen to sportsmedicinebroadcast.com slash depression. And Christy is always willing to, to share her story, to reach out, to talk, to encourage, to point you to resources. Um, but uh, Don, Kate, any final thoughts on the postpartum depression and before we close it out here? Um, yeah, quick tidbit. So estrogen, progesterone, all these hormones raging, and I, I, I mean raging through your body. The <clears throat> Just a, a stat for you, the pregnant a pregnant woman, they have more estrogen during those nine months than a person who's never, a woman who's never been pregnant in their entire lifetime. Think about that. So that the amount of estrogen in a woman's lifetime who does not get pregnant is less than someone who is pregnant, that estrogen level. And that's just one of the many hormones that doesn't go away right away. And for someone who has like a serotonin reuptake issue already, or a predisposition to depression, who cannot take certain medications when you're pregnant or postpartum breastfeeding, it is going to be especially difficult. Do not be afraid to talk to somebody, whether that be your doctor, whether that be, I would, I would, I would urge along the line of a professional, especially if you are having a disconnect from your baby or from your husband or yourself. Um, it is extremely important to realize it is normal to feel these things, but that doesn't mean that you have to live like that. Um, in a lot of cases, it can go away in a few weeks. Your hormones can start to balance out and you can feel better. But in a lot of cases, it doesn't. Your brain actually changes uh, wiring when you become a mother yeah. and it doesn't go back. And we didn't get into that at all today, but you you do rewire your brain when you're pregnant and become a mother. And sometimes there are people that have a little bit more of a difficult time adjusting with that. And that's okay. That's okay. Talk to someone, um, anybody, a, a hotline. Uh, it is really important to make sure that you are okay from the inside and out. We will probably have to come back and continue the conversation about returning to fitness because we kind of really just got like returning to activity. So at some point we'll schedule uh, another one and discuss the returning to fitness postpartum. Sure. Um, and obviously Don will be a great example, great story of how she's returned to being a, a triathlete, an Ironman. I think, it, I think it would be great to go back to this and talk about exercise, return to fitness, even exercise during pregnancy too, yeah. um, because it, it is not a contraindication to exercise during pregnancy unless you have specific metal, medical conditions. Do not use it as an excuse to do nothing. That's right. Okay. So on that, we'll, we'll get that rescheduled. You know, that'll come sometime in the future. Kate, somebody wants to get a hold of you right now, has some specific questions. How are they going to do that? Uh, you can reach me. Um, I'll give you my personal email and my work email, but it's Kate, K-A-T-E, no, no, Kate, no, no, at gmail.com or Kate.miller at 
fab, F-A-B-E-N-T.com. You're also more than happy to call me uh, on my phone number. I really don't mind, uh, or text um, if you feel like that would be better for you, uh, 619-884-8186. Um, I'd be happy to steer you into um, the direction of increasing your knowledge or just having a great conversation with you, that's fine. Um, I also wrote a course on the, the physiological changes during pregnancy and postpartum. Um, so did Dr. Duval, who was on last week, I could steer you that way as well. Very good. And Don, someone wants to get a hold of you. Um, so my email is dstuckey, so D-S-T-U-C-K-E-Y at HoustonMethodist.org. So be glad to answer any questions. All right. And then if you're trying to get a hold of me, just go to sportsmedicinebroadcast.com. And then there will be all sorts of ways to get a hold of me on there. There... Um, the, the resources, uh, we mentioned Dr. Sarah Duvall's course on uh, core exercise solutions and, and things like that. And Kate talked about that a lot last week, so you can listen to the last podcast, or if you're doing, watching live on Facebook, you can check out last week's Facebook Live. Um, but the but feiretail.com, if you use the code ALOHA25, uh, that's something we're sharing just here with the podcast, so you can save 24% off uh, any of the courses there with, oh, no. with FBI? It's, it's all the equipment. Sorry. It's all of the equipment and courses. Okay. The equipment and the courses. Uh, so FEI, F-E-I retail.com and you can use the Aloha 25 and that's again somewhere using specifically for the podcast. So check that out. Check out, see if you want to get some gear, some courses, something like that. And then there's a February 29th or through March 1st uh, 2020 live comprehensive taping course in Round Rock, Texas. And you can use the code SOUTH50 for 50% off all registrations. So again, check that out. And uh, it's a comprehensive taping course here in Round Rock, Texas. And again, that's live. So it's through Strap It. But so BOC it, approved. Yeah, BOC approved. So I have the, the link there. I'll have it in the show notes. So this is strapit.net slash collection slash front page. But if you go to sportsmedicinebroadcast.com slash pregnancy in athletic training, I'll have a link to <clears throat> a link to those there that we mentioned. And then uh, there's also a discount <laughs> code for pregnancy postpartum course, which is not a pre-approved for BOCs, but it has lots of good handouts and information. And so I'll have a link to that there as well. Um, without much further ado, I am Jeremy Jackson, host of the Sports Medicine Broadcast. It has been a pleasure learning, sharing, growing with Kate Miller and Don Stuckey as we continue to learn about pregnancy in athletic trainer, as we are specifically focusing on the athletic trainer and not just the patients you treat. Because like they said, you got to do this self-care. You got to take care of yourself, treat yourself and things like that. So Kate, thank you very much. Don, thank you very much. Thank you guys for being willing. And everybody checking in live, there was, you know, 10, 20 different people. And like I said, I know, uh, Don, your friend Tana said, uh, she said, I mean, she said something like, great job. You're doing a great job, mamas, or something like that. And so she was awesome. commenting live in there. So we always love the, the Facebook live comments. So for Jeremy, Kate, Don, and the Sports Medicine Broadcast, that is a wrap.